Hey, listener. Before we get into the good stuff, I just wanted to let you know, if you'd rather just get this entire audiobook at once and start listening to it immediately, just head over to my website at nickthacker.com audio. That's N-I-C-K-T-H-A-C-K-E-R.com slash audio. You're listening to The Atlantis Stone by me, Nick Thacker, read by my good friend with a much better voice, Mike Vendetti. Another mortar shell explosion brought him back to the present. So far, the attack had been executed flawlessly. The Iraqis didn't seem to know there were enemy troops on the ground in their area, and the ranger team was moving steadily and quickly toward the camp. O'Neill and Andreessen reached the clearing on the southwest side of the camp and went prone behind a cluster of boulders. On the right flank, Sergeant Rodriguez moved into position and prepared to strike the outside of the quartermaster's tent. Rice lifted a fist to his head, then counted at three on his fingers. At three, he lifted his gun and squinted down the scope of his assault rifle. Next to him, Corporal Joseph Strahan did the same. Mortar team opened fire. His own men also opened fire on the eight scattered tents and mobile buildings. Rice's orders signaled the beginning of the attack. While the mortar unit had been laying covering and distracting fire from the north, the real fireworks were just beginning. Price had timed their attack with the mortar team, stationed less than a mile away, and now the infantry unit there was using all three of their mortars in tandem, launching explosive rounds on the camp once every other second. The effect was chaotic. The 20 or 30 Iraqi men hunkered down in the tents and buildings snapped into action. They ran in every direction, some chopped down immediately by ranger fire, and others hit by falling mortar rounds. The few that weren't hit ran for the tunnels and bunkers surrounding the base. Bryce shouted orders as the team closed in. Strand with me. O'Neill, Andreessen, keep punching through that line. Don't let them get to the 50. He popped two shots into the nearest Iraqi, a man running for his life, unfortunately in the direction of Captain Reynolds's gun barrel. The next two Iraqis almost made it to the standbag outcropping just to the west of the base where a 50 caliber machine gun turret had been set up. Rice missed the first man, but Strahan clipped his leg just before he reached the half circle of sandbags. Second man dove for cover behind his fallen comrade just as a mortar round blasted into the ground and turned the whole area into a crater. Taking advantage of the moment, Bryce sprinted for the main circle of tents at the center of the camp. Strahan followed close behind while the other three American soldiers continued their pummeling of the Iraqi camp. Bryce hoped to get in and out in less than two minutes, an eternity in the midst of the battle. As he entered the nearest tent, his in-ear radio squawked alike. Captain, O'Neill's down. The voice was Martin Andreessen's, a man who had been part of Bryce's team for only a few months. We're under heavy fire from our six. These bastards came out of nowhere. From their six, Bryce's mind went into overdrive. How was that possible? Thermal scans showed no movement outside the 500-yard perimeter surrounding the base. Further ground-penetrating radar confirmed that the Iraqi troops were mostly above ground and not in the small tunnel system that ran throughout the area. But they were under fire from the west, behind O'Neill and Andreessen's position. 
I'm guessing about five, maybe six men, sir. Andreessen continued, and Bryce could hear the sound of gunfire in between the soldiers' words. Heavy firepower, and they seem to know our exact locations. I'm trying to hold them back, but it's... The voice in Bryce's ear died, replaced by an eerie silence. Shit. Two of his men were down, and he still hadn't located either objective. Thankfully, moments like this were Bryce's forte, and the reason he was in charge of the small ranger unit. His mind ran through the different scenarios while he continued searching the tents. Why hadn't the scans picked up the enemy forces to the west? Even with the river, they'd have seen their advance and would have warned me. Bryce came to a small tent almost dead center of the camp. Strahan picked off two straggling Republican guardsmen who were fumbling with the weapons and then entered the tent behind Captain Reynolds. Out of the corner of his eye, Bryce saw an oddly placed satchel on the top of a filing cabinet in the corner. Bryce, what's up? We've got two guys down, and they were hit from behind. Who the hell was doing recon for us? Yeah, I know. Just help me find the package, and we can get out of here. He motioned to the other tent, and Strahan nodded and walked over. Bryce waited for Strahan to leave the tent, and he grabbed at the satchel, rifling through the contents, nothing but paper and maps. He threw the bag aside, and then, on top of the cabinet, underneath where the bag had been placed, Bryce saw it. Unassuming, it was a simple brown envelope. It was too small to hold letter-sized paper, but its thickness implied that it was meant for weightier items, souvenirs and such. It was sealed and wrapped in packing tape for additional security, and fastened with a brad. Bryce snatched it and ripped open the top. From the adjacent tent, Strahan yelled out, his voice echoed by the radio. Startled Bryce, boss, I got it. Two sheets, double-sided. This has to be it. He opened the flap connecting their tents, and Bryce saw him waving the documents in the air. Coordinates ran down the left side of the page, itemized and ordered in some unknown way. Great, let's go. Bryce had dropped the envelope onto the mess of papers and boxes strewn about, and he waited for Strahan to leap first. As the tall man stooped to exit the tent, he turned around and flashed a grin. And you thought this shit was going to take two minutes. <laughs> he chuckled a bit and reached around his back for his rifle. Through the open tent flap, Bryce could see a shadowy figure approaching. Corporal, get down! Bryce yelled. Joseph Strahan jerked away from the tent opening too late. An Iraqi soldier appeared in the doorway, and one hand reached out for Strahan's head, while the other disappeared behind the American's back. Strahan let out a paint whimper, and Bryce could see a flash of a knife's blade, followed by a splatter of blood. He pulled up his weapon and aimed toward the two men, hoping to find a shot. Finally, a break in the struggle allowed Bryce to fire a short burst from his assault rifle. The Iraqi man tumbled forward, pushing Strahan down with him. Shit, Joseph, you all right? He called out. But as soon as Bryce saw his partner's open wound, he knew the man was doomed. The knife had cut deep, catching him just beneath the ribs and pushing upward through his lung. He was bleeding out, and there was no way he was going to live. His eyes flicked to Bryce for a long second, then closed as he coughed a mix of blood and bile. He reached to his side, struggling with something at his belt. Bryce started to walk toward him to offer aid, but within seconds, the man was gone. It was then that Bryce noticed two things. 
first the group of three Iraqi soldiers running toward the tent, where they'd just seen their comrade fall. Second, he saw the metal optic stray-handed wriggle free from his belt just before he died, the pin of a grenade. Price reacted instinctively. He jumped backwards, trying to put as much distance between himself and the downed soldier, and then covered his head. The grenade blew just as the Iraqis had neared the tent. The blast tore into them, throwing their bodies back and out onto the open desert ground. Price felt the wind rushing overhead, pushing the shockwave and fiery air along with it. Two chunks of debris and smaller bits of rock rained down around him, but he was okay. Standing, he took in the ensuing scene. The mortars have stopped, he thought. Or had he been shell-shocked? Maybe he was momentarily deafened by the explosion. Raising his hand to his ear, he strained to hear the update coming through his radio. Rice, you guys okay? I saw the explosion. It was Sergeant Rodriguez from the Eastern Front. I think the mortar team bailed. We're not getting any cover fire anymore, and I think I can see about 10 guys moving into your location. Rice listened to the message and frowned. The mortar team bailed. And now there were 10 men approaching. He looked off to the right where Rodriguez would be stationed and responded, Yeah, I'm good. Strahan's gone. We need to get the hell out of here and quick. He didn't wait for a response. Bryce's mind flared once again as the adrenaline coursed through him, igniting his capacity for reason and deduction. His world slowed as he moved through the protocols. He by the book training he and his men had gone through for these instances and he calculated the risks and probabilities of each chosen strategy. His ability to think and process under pressure were unmatched in his field, and his superiors had taken notice. Bryce was the whiz kid of the Rangers, and his analytical and data-driven mind had gotten him several quick promotions during his short career in the military. It was time to leave. Each option that Bryce ran through seemed to end in disaster especially now that the mortar team had gone silent. The coordinates Drehan found were obliterated, as was most of his team. He called back in to Rodriguez to prepare for extraction and then noticed again the small envelope on the sandy floor. Picking it up, he read the simple inscription on its front. M.J. He tore open the top of the envelope and let its contents slide out onto his hand. Notebook. Perfect, he thought. This has to be it. Bryce was about to open the book and see for himself what all the fuss was about when a spattering of an AK-47 sounded behind him. He jumped forward, bounding through the three tents and out onto the dusty plain heading east. Just over the rise, he could see Sergeant Art Rodriguez still firing intermittent bursts down onto the base camp. A scream wailed from behind Bryce as he was running and he heard a curse in Arabic, or Kurdish, he wasn't sure, as the man fell. Clearing the outer edge of the camp, Bryce calculated the distance between him and Sergeant Rodriguez to be less than 100 yards. Easy enough to make in a full-on sprint. By now, Rodriguez had seen his commanding officer break through the perimeter and was busy covering Bryce's retreat. In the distance, Bryce thought he could even hear their extraction unit, a helicopter's rotor wash, flying in from the south. As he closed the distance to Rodriguez, he heard a break in the soldier shooting and looked up. The younger man was busy reloading, and Bryce knew he was vulnerable. 
He hoped to reach the spot in a few more seconds, and together, they might be able to hold off the Iraqis for the few minutes it would take for the chopper to reach them. But as Rodriguez finished reloading, another shot rang out and Rodriguez's head jerked forward, ducking. Bryce frowned and his pulse quickened. That wasn't AK-47 fire, he thought. Another shot rang out and Bryce saw the telltale twitch in Rodriguez's body, like a jolting electrical shock. He'd been hit. No! Bryce screamed out in pain as he climbed the last few steps of the shallow hill. He dove for Rodriguez's gun simultaneously, checking the man's vitals. Dead. Damn it! He cursed, swiveling around again to continue firing at the fast-approaching Iraqis. As he turned, however, he caught a glimpse of the other approaching Iraqis, the ones coming up the hill from the east behind Rodriguez's position. He was being crushed between two oncoming forces, and he was the only American soldier left. At least five men were coming up from the west, and now he saw the silhouettes of three more. One carried a sniper rifle and was no doubt the one who killed Rodriguez. Shit. This was going to end very painfully. Bryce readied himself and lowered his torso to the ground. He fired three bursts at the men coming from the direction of the camp, and two of the men fell. Turning, he aimed for the three coming from the east. They were aiming back at him. A muzzle flash flared outward from the gun held by the man on the left. Split second passed, Bryce felt the round pierce his shoulder. He screamed and dropped completely to the ground. Blood trickled down his forearm, and he loosened the grip on his gun. A second flash twinkled in Bryce's eyes, this time from the sniper. He heard the round whiz by just over his head. I'm going to die here, he thought. He tried lifting his rifle to his eye, but the pain from his shoulder wound was too great. Then his knee lit up in a fiery wash of pain. Too weak to scream, he let out a low wail as he buried his face sideways into the sand, calmed by the gentle warmth of the Iraqi desert ground. His left hand reached up to his shirt pocket, and he shifted a little, slowly trying to grab at the small notebook he'd stolen from the camp. I'm going out like this. I'm going to at least figure out why, he thought. He brought the book up to his head. Straining to open his eyes, he let the cover fall open and glanced down at the first page. Nothing. It was completely blank. What? No. Had he grabbed the wrong book? He flipped through another ten pages, all blank, all empty. He wanted to scream. Had he been set up? Why would this notebook, this blank notebook be the subject of so much scrutiny so much bloodshed and why was it addressed to someone named mj he moved his hand down closer to his chest and pushed the book under his body he'd wanted to throw it but he didn't have the strength if it was an object that was never supposed to be in enemy hands he intended to make it that much more difficult for them to find one last shot rang out as the men started up the hill. One more time, Bryce felt the piercing burn of metal punching through flesh. 
This time, his left arm took the brunt of the shot. Though the bullet had only streaked, he thought about home, about his mom, mom. He wasn't going to be able to get to her now, to save her. He squeezed his eyes shut and let the sand blow over him, willing the desert to swallow him. Hey, listener, this podcast is a year-long journey, but I get it. Sometimes we're in it for the destination, not the journey. If you want it all at once, right now, without having to wait a year, grab it here, nickthacker.com audio. That's N-I-C-K-T-H-A-C-K-E-R dot com slash audio. Oh, and if you use the code PODCAST2021 at checkout, I'll give you another 20% off.